Hosts Elle and Miriam are two black homeschooling moms embarking on a self-defining journey. Listen in on conversations that will encourage you to be your authentic self while uplifting your spirit and motivating your inherent potential. They're defining what culture is for their families and want you to do the same. Bring your children along too so they can meet the cleverly cultured kids. They're all for teaching the babies while they're young, adapting to the challenges of parenting, homeschooling, and being willing to learn the lessons that the children have to offer. It's all about uplifting one another and reclaiming your innate greatness. Welcome to the Cleverly Changing Podcast. You are listening to episode 80. Thanks so much for staying on this journey with us and listening to our podcast week after week and telling other people about it. We are growing and it's all because of you. In today's episode, we speak with Dr. Latanya White. I am so happy that we had this conversation because it really got me fired up. She spoke to us about how many people think generational wealth is going to be a game changer for black families. However, according to her, the truth is our high net worth and ultra high net worth counterparts are not focused on transferring financial wealth to the next generation. They are building dynasties that focus on five forms of wealth being transferred to the next three generations. The more black families learn how to build their own dynastic wealth, and that is her trademark program, there are more clever ways that we can change the narrative in our families about wealth. And I want you to listen to this full episode and be inspired to build dynastic wealth for your families. And I want you to know that you can help keep this podcast going by purchasing some of our merchandise, such as hoodies, t-shirts, sweatshirts, pillows, mugs, and more. Just go to cleverlychanging.threadless.com or visit our show notes page to see a direct link. Also, remember to follow us on our social media pages. On Instagram, we're at Cleverly Changing Podcast. We're also on Facebook at Cleverly Changing and on YouTube at Cleverly Changing. So check out our pages, follow us, support us, and continue to follow and support our guests. We appreciate you by listening in, purchasing our merchandise and telling your friends about our show because we are growing and it's all because of you. Now, something to explore with your children. You know that Africa is the birthplace of civilization, but did you know that there are more than 3,000 different groups of indigenous people and more than 50 million indigenous people living in Africa? Today's 
African proverb says, the rich man may wear old clothes. And that is a Ghanaian proverb. It's now time for the word of the episode. Today's word of the episode is brought to you by Yoruba Land. Baboni. Baboni. Baboni means, how are you? What's up? In Yoruba. Welcome to another Cleverly Changing Podcast. I am one of the co-hosts, Elle Cole, and we have a fantastic show for you today. I have a very special guest, but before I tell you who our guest is, let me tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a mom of twins, and I homeschooled my kids for seven years. My kids are doing phenomenal in school right now. I put them in school this year for the first time and I am happily supplementing their education by providing them with resources that really help them understand themselves as black women in America. Today's conversation, we are going to talk about some really fantastic things. So if you are listening, tell a friend to tune in. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to our guest, Dr. LaTanya White. Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Thank you so much, Elle. This is so amazing. I'm so glad we connected. Um, so my background, I actually taught entrepreneurship on the university level. I taught at a prominent HBCU for 11 years. And about four or five years into uh, my teaching appointment, I found myself kind of getting into it, <laughs> into these arguments by email with my department chair about why there were only two academic majors um, that were eligible to take this entrepreneurship course. And so there was a, a prerequisite that was required, but that prerequisite class was only eligible for business students and communication students. And for the life of me, I could not process, you know, if, if I'm an engineering student or an architecture student, I would never even be aware that there was an entrepreneurship course offering at a historically Black university. And so as I would kind of make that argument, I got really, really emotional about the barriers to accessing this class, which literally could change the trajectory of a student's life, of the impact that they could have on their family. But I realized that I needed to have a more logical and evidence-based argument. So I um, I don't know that most people do this, but I found a doctoral program that would allow me <laughs> to have that argument to make the case for making entrepreneurship education more accessible. And this is on the college level. But my research, I, I landed at a place where I began studying the relationship between Black entrepreneurship and the widening of the racial wealth gap. And what I found was that while we, a lot of people talk about generational wealth and we're really, really excited about it as a collective, it's not really going to be the thing that changes the narrative in Black families and in Black communities. 
like our high net worth and ultra high net worth counterparts, they aren't concerned with just financial assets being passed to one generation. They are focused on transferring five different forms of wealth. Um, and they are focused on doing that for three consecutive generations. So the place where I am now is I, my daughter, she's seven years old. As we began our own journey into world schooling and unschooling, um, is really teaching her and exposing her to these di five different forms of wealth as a, a supplement to what she's currently learning um, in school. And then when we transition out of school, really being able to immerse her in those those concepts, which are referred to as dynastic wealth. Oh, I am super excited to have this conversation. Everybody, if you listen to episode 78 of the Cleverly Changing podcast, then you know that we've been talking about financial literacy for the families. And there were some aspects that we didn't get into in that conversation that we're going to get into today. And one of those things is passing on generational wealth for multiple generations. And one of the things that we touched on was having a business to pass down. I want to share that for me, entrepreneurship was not in my cards. It was because my daughter, my husband and I, we found out that we were both sickle cell trait carriers. And I was working in corporate America. And when I found out I would have a child with sickle cell, I realized that the long hours I was putting in and the work I was doing, it wasn't going to work for my family and for my daughter. And so I left corporate America and I was forced into entrepreneurship. And so I've been having to kind of play catch up and learn, will this work? This doesn't work. And so it's that period of, I didn't prepare for this. Life told me this is what you have to do. And I think, you know, for many of us as African-Americans, sometimes that's the case where we didn't just love entrepreneurship and decide, oh, I want to have my own business. It was like, look, I'm going to have to make this work because I have no other choice. And so that's where we are. Can you kind of talk about what draws Black families or families of color into mm -hmm. entrepreneurship? That's such a that's a prime example of what um, the academic community refers to as necessity based entrepreneurship. And so there's this continuum of um, of people or, or experience experiences rather where a person enters into the, the, the consciousness stream of entrepreneurship. And on one end of that continuum, it's necessity based. It's I got to make this money by tomorrow. Right. Or to, to your point in, in, in your experience on the other end of that continuum is this theory of opportunity based entrepreneurship. And that's really where there are people who have the relationships, they have the capital and they have the um, what's referred to as opportunity recognition. They see that there is a trend or that they can anticipate or project that there's going to be some capitalistic gain from participating in this particular endeavor. Now, to your question, there hasn't really been much research that looks at, well, how many entrepreneurs who are necessity based are entrepreneurs of color? Or how many on the other end of the, the spectrum are 
majority ethnicity entrepreneurs. There hasn't been any research to that effect, but I am, I would bet my bottom dollar that there are a lot more black and brown entrepreneurs who entered into entrepreneurship as a necessity than there are as an opportunity in, in our lifetime right now. So I know that the work that we're doing for our children and our grandchildren is to ensure that there are more opportunity-based entrepreneurs who come from black and brown families. Wow, I think what you're sharing with us is kind of phenomenal because we we sometimes quote these statistics about mm -hmm. black women going into entrepreneurship at alarming rates. Mm -hmm. But what I've noticed is that Black women are definitely going into entrepreneurs. We're brilliant. We have the education. We have the know-how. We have the energy and the drive. But often our businesses are not making the same amount of money as other people's businesses. So I don't just need to be celebrating being a Black female entrepreneur. I need to celebrate some dividends, too. Yes. I know that there are a lot of homeschool families who also are interested in entrepreneurship because they want to teach their kids from home. And sometimes they want their kids to also do different entrepreneurship endeavors. But here's the thing, no matter what we're doing, we also need to actually make money. So my mm -hmm. question to you is, what do you think, if there is a person who's listening who wants to go into entrepreneurship, how should they set up a business plan or should they even do that to plan to make money, to plan to make a business mm -hmm. that actually is sustainable because mm -hmm. it is able to fund itself? As I was um, teaching, when, when I was teaching and I taught for 11 years, as I shared, I started out really focusing on writing a business plan, making sure that you had the documentation and the evidence to go to, say, a bank. Now, I did start teaching in, in 2010, you know, so give me a little, a little bit of grace, right? We hadn't gotten to venture funding as much as, as we are back then. But in 2012, I traveled overseas. I traveled to Bali, Indonesia to participate in an entrepreneurship accelerator program. I had gotten to this place where I said, I, I didn't feel like I was making enough impact in the classroom. And I said, well, maybe I need to become a, a better educator. Like, let me make sure that I am on the cutting edge and I know what's happening in the ecosystem so that I can transfer that knowledge. And in Bali, like when I tell you my life changed for, on just so many different levels, but as an entrepreneurship educator, what I learned um, in that program was the importance of a business model versus a business plan. And so in 2012, I was introduced to this concept called business model canvas. And it's, it's so ubiquitous now. Every, a lot of people are familiar with business model canvas and more and more entrepreneurs start at a place where they're, they can communicate their business model and then if they're going into traditional financing, like if you need to go to a bank, that's where your business plan comes into play. But most um, capital, friends and family, angel investors, venture capital, they aren't looking for your business plan. They're looking for you to be able to say, I know what my business model is. And so for, for your listeners, 
business model generation and business model canvas, it takes nine building blocks. And it's the most straightforward way to say, this is how this business is going to operate. But one of those building blocks is about revenue. So getting to the heart of your question. And as I became, as I developed this mastery of being able to teach business model canvas, I identified that there are actually four different types of revenue um, that a, a startup business or a new and aspiring entrepreneur should consider. And so I'm not necessarily talking about passive versus um, active income, but service-based revenue, right? So there's service-based revenue. I own a, a bartending company. So we would make cocktails, provide bartender staffing, and that's the service that we um, offer. There is product-based revenue. So in the state of Florida, we had the the right liquor license, right? Then selling drinks and cocktails would be product-based revenue. There is venue-based revenue. So let's say we had a cocktail lounge, right? And there was a ticketed entry. That's how money is generated um, as a venue. But my favorite way to generate revenue is knowledge-based revenue. This is your intellectual property. It's your lived experience. It's the things that you know that people are always coming to you to ask about that you don't have to go out to learn how to do. What we do um, in generating knowledge-based revenue is really starting with the, the end user. What are their questions about your area of expertise? And then we position ourselves to answer those questions. Um, and we can talk about how that's repurposed. And you just, you package it and leverage your networks to begin beta testing it, getting feedback. What do people see as the, the retail value? So let people tell you what they'd be willing to pay for it. But you don't have to invest anything. You don't have to get a new computer because you can go to a library, right? You don't have to get business cards because you can go on Canva and create digital business cards with your free Canva account. So it's knowledge-based revenue that really lends itself to the value that you bring to the world. And then you can be compensated based on that alone. That is beautiful. That is very beautiful. As a person who does, I so I have two of those type of business, the product base. I, I'm an author just like you. And I have books. I have books mm -hmm. that deal with sickle cell because that's mm -hmm. what I know. That's a part of my experience. So I took that information and put it in a book. And I have um, knowledge base. So yes. I have several different businesses that all kind of complement each other, but deal mm -hmm. with things that I've learned along the way. So um, mm -hmm. I've done social media management for people, which would technically be the service base, but mm -hmm. now I'm moving towards teaching people how to do it Absolutely. themselves. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And so I'm moving more into just doing the knowledge base part of that. And so what you shared to me is revolutionary, especially for our audience, because mm -hmm. all of us have something mm -hmm. that we are experts at. That means that everybody can kind of do a self-evaluation. What are your skills? 
what do you enjoy? What are you good mm -hmm. at? What do people ask you for? What are people um, coming to you for? And so that is kind of a place where we can start kind of evaluating. Because sometimes we're like, mm, do I have any knowledge? Right. You know, or we just think about our degrees. And my degrees aren't necessarily um, the only areas that I'm an expert in. You yeah. know, so yeah. I've we go to school for something, but then life and the different things that we work at often are very different and they're pretty unique skill sets. And so mm -hmm. it's those unique skill sets that we would be marketing. Correct. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You got it. <laughs> so I'm I love how you broke each of those four different uh, types of businesses down, because I mm -hmm. think with 2020 and the pandemic i think a lot of people started to realize oh, i can have a business on the side so now right. we have people with side hustles happening more now than ever but is there kind so you talked about business can canvas and mm -hmm. um business model generation is there a place for people to go to to say oh well this is where i should be marketing my knowledge Mm. So that's a, that's a great question. One other component of the of business model canvas looks at it's called the channels. And so this is the integrated marketing and communications channels. It's not just social media. It's knowing who your end user will be, but also being so connected to what problems that they face, what are they motivated by, what they might be frustrated by. To, to the point where you have an idea of where they get their information. So with my bartending business and, and our knowledge-based revenue stream is I, I offer bartender training classes, but I knew that I didn't want to do weddings <laughs> because the trauma <laughs> of having wedding clients, just the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. But I did want to be, I did want to have clients who were other businesses. So some of our largest, most consistent clients are law firms, um, banks, financial institutions, and then a the sports marketing department of a university. So whenever they would have a tailgate party. So I needed to know first who they were and second, where to find them. And for that particular community, they're going to be at networking, professional networking events. So I joined the Chamber of Commerce in my area. And I attended um, BNI, I think it's Business Networking International, because that's where those decision makers were. Now, as I venture more so into my consulting work um, around racial equity and equity in entrepreneurship, I know that my audience uh, includes diversity, equity, and inclusion experts at universities, um, entrepreneurship educators and administrators from universities and colleges. So I need to go where they are. And that includes conferences where I can submit a proposal to speak or be a conference presenter. But I had to know who I wanted to serve and be so in tune with the things that are driving their decision-making process that I knew where to find them. Um, and we're in such, this day and age, we are at such an advantage because there's LinkedIn 
right? There's social media, there's Instagram, but it comes down to is your customer more active on LinkedIn and making their buying decisions because they might be on Instagram, but they may not be making buying decisions from Instagram, but knowing where they spend their time and what influences their buying decisions. Woo, that was loaded. <laughs> that was loaded. And I, and I have to say, because you you brought out several things that I'm going mm -hmm. to unpack just a bit, because I don't want our audience to miss that. Sure. And the very first thing is you need to know exactly who your audience is. And every every business person will tell you it is not everybody. So do right. not say that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It is not everybody. everybody and their mama. No, <laughs> it may just be their mama, <laughs> but not everybody right. and their mama. <laughs> so you have to really identify exactly who that target person is. And I mm -hmm. think sometimes as as new business owners, we're like, oh, well, that person is like me. And I think we have to really break that down and mm -hmm. go even more specific. Well, who are you? Mm -hmm. You know, what is it that you like? Where do you go? If you if that's how you're starting your business. And yeah. I think you do have to expand your mind a bit more than that. And so sometimes business coaches will call that your avatar. So do mm -hmm. you know who your avatar is? And so I think this is important, whether you are five years old or 99 years old and you're coming up with a business, you mm -hmm. need to know exactly who that person is, what age group. Well, I'm gonna let you define. How do they define their <laughs> avatar, please? <laughs> you're, you're on it. You are on it, Elle. <laughs> so uh, one of the things that I coach clients through in developing that avatar, I, I like to get granular. So we go from, you know, what age, like I need a specific age because uh, in, even in the census track, a 40 year old makes different choices than a 45 year old. Right. So I really try to get people to tune in. Um, it's almost like creating a character if you're writing a book. So now we get into character development. What's their name? Where do they live? Um, what kind of work do they do? Do they have a degree? Where did they go to school? Because sometimes that matters depending on the product or the service. Um, we also get into, well, who are they influenced by as it relates to this particular product or service that you're offering? So one of my avatars for my bartending business, which is called 71 Proof, the avatar for the bartending business is the events manager at a law firm. She is an HBCU graduate. She works at an all-Black law firm. And um, homecoming is a big deal, right? <laughs> so when we're talking about that particular avatar compared to um, an avatar that is the events manager at a majority white credit union, she's influenced by completely different things. Their major events are not centered around Black college football. So I have to really market in a different way. But if we can get into what are they, who are they influenced by, even down to where do they consume information? Um, as I would coach people through this, they would say, oh, social media, they'll just find me on, on social media. 
But how sway? There are a billion social media profiles. How are they just going to stumble upon um, your? How are they just going to stumble upon your particular profile? And so we get into what are the hashtags? What are the keywords that you want to affiliate with your um, profile so that when they're searching for those things, they can you can pop up into that particular um, search. So it's really, really granular. I mean, even down to the keywords and hashtags that your prospective uh, clients are looking for and are using in their searches. Oh, that was phenomenal. So I, I want, before we move to this next concept, mm-hmm. I just want to bring out, you said keywords and hashtags. Whatever business you're doing, you need to know those things like that to me is critical. You know, what are people searching for who want Mm -hmm. to find your business? And so that's why keywords and hashtags, where do you want to show up? That's why that's so important. Now, earlier I said there was some things I wanted to unpack. And the next (laughs) thing I wanted to unpack, you use the word equity and business equity. Can you define that? Because I don't know if everybody knows what that is in mm-hmm. terms of business, in terms of this conversation. Can you mm-hmm. define that for us? Sure. So equity is ownership. Um, and, and, and so equity in business compared to equity in racism, right? And I think I'm at the intersection of both those things, but equity in its most basic form is ownership. So when we are looking at how do we fund the business, you'll often, especially if you're in the tech space, this is where you'll hear the word equity come up more and more. Um, Are you going to finance the business through equity funding? Meaning, are you going to give up some ownership in exchange for capital or cash to start and operate the business? The opposite of equity financing is debt financing, which is, are you going to go seek a traditional loan or an investment loan to start the business? So in short, equity is ownership when we're talking about capital and financing and funding a business. Wow. That is critical that we understand Mm -hmm. that because we watch shows like Shark Tank and the sharks are say, well, I'll give you Right. You know, $100,000, <laughs> but I want 10% of your business. Yes. What does that mean? You just define to us what that means. And I think it's mm-hmm. very important that we understand those terms so mm-hmm. that as we move into spaces where we try to level up, we're not blindsided by these opportunities. And it's not a bad thing for us to give people equity in our business. I think sometimes it's like, you know, I think about people like Lisa Price, who had Carol's mm-hmm. daughter, and she she sold a large part of her business. I believe it was to L'Oreal. And mm-hmm. people were like, why? Why are they always <laughs> selling their businesses? Right. And I think for me, as a as an entrepreneur, a budding entrepreneur, it was like, I understand why she did that. As your business grows, you often need more financing, especially Mm -hmm. when you have a business that you want to be in retail centers. Like Mm -hmm. you got to think about the shelf life of those products. There's so many things you have to think about. And 
financially, it may be a wise decision. It's not a decision for everybody, but I think it's very important for us not to look at certain businesses in, in our community that do allow people to be um, to fund them in that space um, and look at them as sellouts. <laughs> you know, I hate to be so frank about it, right. but I think we also have to understand that this is an opportunity for them to give us more in many yes. ways, to give us more services, to give us more products, to give us a variety of things. And then they can even package their knowledge on how they did that and, and share that with us. And so I think it's important for us to really um, have that understanding. So I'm glad that you talked about that so that, you know, we can be open to allowing people fund our business. You know, there are so many ways that we can do that. And so just touching on that to me was powerful and helpful. So um, one of the other things that I wanted to ask you, if somebody is trying to build generational wealth, mm -hmm. Where should they begin? Because I don't, I don't think you know. We're definitely talking about businesses, mm -hmm. and I feel like that comes a little bit later, um, you know. Ooh. But where, if somebody is like, "Hmm, I have this education," because many of us we have gotten our education, and they want to start, you know, putting things in place. You know, you you graduate from college, you you get that first job. And then, you know, they may talk to you about 401k. They may talk mm -hmm. to you about all these new concepts that maybe you haven't explored before, but you're like, I want to do it right going out of the gate. Mm -hmm. You know, perhaps you will start a business down the line, but just out of the gate, what should we be doing to start building that generational wealth? So I'll... I'll... I'll answer that question with a question and ask um, the listeners to really do a bit of reflection and in asking themselves, do I want to pass down financial assets or do I want to pass down financial assets and other things? And if I can give you some context to that, as I was um, completing my doctoral research, I, I interviewed and studied the wealth building habits um, or rather motivation, the wealth building motivation for black entrepreneurs in the beauty industry. And a part of the eligibility criteria was that they were first generation entrepreneurs. So between my practice study and my major study, I interviewed 10 black entrepreneurs who had clicked the box on the survey that said they were first generation entrepreneurs. Half of them as I'm getting into the interviews, really understanding their experiences growing up, half of them had a aunt, a mom, a grandfather, grandmother who owned a business. And so I get chills as I say that because they still identified as first generation because they all said, I start, I felt like I was starting from scratch. I didn't have the knowledge. No one told me. I didn't have the relationships. And so to the quest to your question about where do we begin if we want to start building generational wealth, the, the question that we want to ask ourselves is, where do I want my child, my grandchildren to begin? Because if we're just building a business to pass down the business, 
without that mentorship, without that stewardship, without really teaching them the identity and the core values of the family, they will be starting from the same place that we started. And I think we, we, and I'm trying to <laughs> keep my emotions in check, but I think that's what's happened for so long is that I saw how hard my mom worked and she saw how hard her grandma, her, her mom worked, but we didn't have the time. We didn't carve out the time to talk about the experience that came with that and transferring that knowledge. So those five forms of wealth and dynastic wealth, they begin with financial wealth, but we move into this spiritual wealth. And it's the identity of the family. Like who do we want generations from now to know who we were? Like what were we motivated by today to create something better for them? And then we get into the wealth of knowledge, kind of capturing the oral histories and things of that nature within the family, intellectual wealth, and then relational wealth. And it's those five forms of wealth that really transcend from one generation to the third and beyond generation. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was a lot to take on. And, and, you know, you mentioned you were getting emotional and I was like, yes. I felt, I felt that yes. because I felt every part of it. When mm -hmm. I think about, you know, my own experience, mm -hmm. I don't know anybody in my family who, um, was an entrepreneur, but it doesn't mean that they weren't. It just right. means they weren't talking to me about it. Exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. And I think we've moved into a space where it's easier to package our knowledge. So mm -hmm. like we can start a class, we can create YouTube videos, we can write blog posts. There are many different ways we can write books. There are many right. different ways that we can package our knowledge in some form that's much more accessible today than it was 10 years ago, you know, mm -hmm. 20 years ago when our when our parents were, you know, in their prime. And mm -hmm. so I think that when you talk about that mentorship, I felt it because I think sometimes we have a fear of asking those who have come before us to train us, to talk yes. to us. And, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to share my own personal experience because we like to be transparent. Mm -hmm. And um, I mentioned that I have these books, these sickle cell books, and you talked about B2B, mm -hmm. you know, as your clients, business to business, for those mm -hmm. of you who are new to that term, my books are actually business to business in the Ooh. sense of um, they are children's books, but my, my, my buyers are generally hospitals. Hospitals Ooh. use my books to teach their patients. Wow, that's amazing. So what that meant for me is when I'm marketing, I'm not necessarily marketing to in individuals. If I really want to make my sales, I'm marketing to hospitals. And so what, what I had been approached to um, about was grants, 
you know, mm. because of the type of business I have. And so I was like, well, I've never done grants, you know, um, myself personally. And so I, I have a circle, I have a network and I started to tell people, this is what I desire. You know, I, I filled out this grant, I completed it and I needed people who had written grants to look over it. Like, I'm I'm starting, you know, you can Google some templates, you can find out what other people did, but that does not mean that is what you need to do. And so I took it to my circle and they were like, you gotta, you gotta redo this. And so I'm sharing that because sometimes we take our experiences and we don't want to tell anybody we just want to put it out in the atmosphere and say bless this lord or you know make this successful we just throwing it out there whoever catches it make it successful that's not really how things work sometimes we have to put real systems in place and ask real people who have been there hey is this what i'm supposed to be doing you know it is it is nothing wrong with not knowing it is nothing wrong with that but i feel like if i don't have to make the mistake by asking let me ask so i'm saying all that because you talked about mentorship you talked about stewardship and i think it 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 makes us vulnerable to ask for that help, to ask for somebody to take time to mentor. But we are all worthy of mentorship. We are all worthy of stewardship, but that does mean we have to be vulnerable enough to ask. Right, absolutely. And if I could just pull that thread just a little bit more within the family, within the scope of the family and building dynastic wealth. So, so one thing, one concept that I learned about in this research blew my mind that, so our, our counterparts, our high net worth and ultra high net worth counterparts, they do not have family reunions. They have family retreats. And these are annual events it's at, you know, the vacation home or the, the second property that's owned by the family trust. And so as they are traveling to these locations, it's a tax write off because they are part they're on the board of trustees for the trust. But they'll get into these retreats and that's where the mentorship takes place. So it's not that it has to be you have to ask for it. It's it's a part of the agenda. So if we look at a family that's four generations deep, and um, so my family, it took us about a year and a half, but we got to this place where now we meet every Sunday or at least three Sundays a month to really talk about our own dynastic wealth. And so if I say the four generations of my family that meet, so my grandmother, um, she's just, she's our matriarch, right? She's, she's there to sing the old Negro spirituals <laughs> and keep us connected. My aunts and uncles are really, um, establishing the, the leadership position. They're ensuring that my cousins and I are ready to take over this leadership role. And so they're mentoring us. They're talking to us about the family house down in Miami or who's on the deed here and there. But my daughter and her cousins, they are learning about financial literacy. And this is what these families are doing year after year strategically. And so the mentorship happens as a part of that spiritual wealth. It's, it's a part of, it's embedded in building that identity of the family and what we're going to be establishing for these generations down the line. So 
very, very valid point about that vulnerability and in asking. But when we're intentional about building dynastic wealth, it's implied, it's embedded in the process. Wow. You know, when you when you talked about property, mm -hmm. it made me think of all the families that I've come mm -hmm. in contact with who actually received some property from their elders and mm -hmm. then was like, well, I don't want this yeah. and sold it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that it was like, well, what, you know, could you fix it up and rent it out? Like all these things are are running in my mind are they don't want to deal with their cousins. They don't want to, mm -hmm. you know, deal with <laughs> other family members. Let me just get this off my plate because this is a headache. Right. And it's like, but if there was training along the way, that would not be the first thought of releasing themselves of Absolutely. that property. It would be like, I know exactly what I'm going to do with it because you know, you we we talk about kings and queens. We talk mm -hmm. about hey queen, you know, right, and this right. this lineage of being um from people who were kings and queens in on the continent of Africa. But mm -hmm. when we talk and think about kings and queens from the time they are born, they are trained. Yes, to rule. Yes. And so yes. if we going to be hey queen in it, <laughs> <laughs> then that that comes with a responsibility of, of receiving <laughs> training and so that's something that we we want in you know that's why we do this podcast because mm -hmm. we believe we do believe that we are royalty but we have to have these conversations that you're sharing with us right now with mm -hmm. that training because mm -hmm. frankly because of the way that our lives have been here in America, we have lost some of that training and we've lost some of that trust. Yes. You talked about the word trust and, mm -hmm. um, you know, that came up in our last conversation because when we talk about passing generational wealth, it's not just, you know, the property with deeds, it's right. also giving our children a trust. Can you kind of tell our audience what mm -hmm. a trust is and why it's so valuable to, mm -hmm. to business owners and people in general with wealth? Absolutely. Um, so a trust is a, a legal entity that protects all assets that a family or an individual person has. And I have, I have a relationship. Um, my tax attorney is also an estate planner. And as I was getting into this research, I was like, well, I better take care of home, right? I better get all my own documents um, together. And she sent me over the, basically I had to do an inventory of what my assets were. And I was like, I don't, I got a house, right? Because they always tell you a car is not an asset. It's a liability. But as as I was going through the worksheet, there were these questions that asked, well, what about jewelry? What about insurance? What about your different bank accounts? And I literally had never considered those to be wealth building assets. And on their own, they aren't. Until you protect them through this trust and the value of those things can be translated or transferred to future generations. Now, I know your legal professionals <laughs> 
uh, in the audience will come and make sure that I got that right. And I'm looking forward to any feedback on that. But the, the basic form of what a trust is, is an entity that protects your assets and makes it easier to transfer um, those assets to other parties. Thank you so much for sharing that because I have completed that worksheet and they were asking <laughs> me about art. Yes. <laughs> like you begin to look at life differently when you yes. start filling out these forms. I yes. was like, I got to get some art for my kids. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. It just was like a whole new world opened up mm -hmm. that I began to look at things differently. And so I'm glad that you helped us understand that because I think, you know, it's a simple word, it's a simple term, but you know, making sure that we have wills for our, for our people, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. know, but that's not it. You know, that's why these trusts are so important. It's not just, oh, I just need a will for, no, there's there's some levels to this thing Yes. Um, when it comes to generational wealth. And so yes. I am so glad that, you know, we've started this conversation because I feel like, you know, the things that you're just giving us a taste of this <laughs> with this conversation, but it's so life changing. It's like the the principles that we're talking about right now. It's like, hmm, you know, I can just see families like, man, I, I got to mm -hmm. delve more into that. Are there any resources? Do you have any products that really help families understand these concepts even more? Yes, I am happy to say that, as I shared, so my family, we've been having this conversation for nearly two years. And one thing I do want to make mention of is that there needs to be, for this to be the most effective process, efficient process, we have to acknowledge that there is pain and trauma within our families that needs to be acknowledged um, and healed because we're about to get into conversations about our relationships with each other. And we have to be honest about those relationships if we're going to create something better for the future. And so as a segue to that, I, I was at a point with my family early on where I felt so alone. I felt like I felt like a fraud because I had done my research, my dissertation research on all this stuff. I was conducting my research, but I couldn't get my own family together to talk about building wealth. And I felt like if I can't even take care of my own family, how am I going to help change the narrative in Black families across the globe? And I was so dejected. I really stepped, stepped away from my research for about three or four years and I'm sorry, three or four months. And then one day my daughter happened to be walking by and it was the reality check that I needed because I still have a responsibility to her future. And so I had to come to a place where I decided that I was going to build dynastic wealth for her, no matter what resistance I might've been facing in building dynastic wealth with my family. So there are going to be some people in your audience that are going to be in that place. And I want to say to them, it can still be done. You might you won't be alone because I'm happy to be a part of the journey with you. It just won't be roses and rainbows <laughs> the way we might want it to be. So to that end, there are some some resources that I've developed as a result of working with 
with my own family, including um, wealth personality surveys, some forms that can really help to identify the core values of the family to build the family constitution. And those are the things that inform um, the trust document. So what do we want the money to be spent on? Um, Not just college, but maybe advanced education. So certifications or trade school, because we have to build in enough flexibility to account for what life is going to look like 50, 100, 150 years from now for our descendants. Wow. Wow. This has been phenomenal. I don't, you know, obviously I'm loving the conversation (laughs) because this really hits home to me. And I just, you know, I've been transparent throughout this conversation, but as a parent, I have twins Mm -hmm. and my two daughters are 13 now. And to me every year I'll be like, man, they're growing up so Mm -hmm. fast. And it's like, man, I feel like they're growing up faster than I'm putting things in place. Mm. And and that's scary to me because mm-hmm. time stops for no man. For no one. Absolutely. And it's like we we have to do it. We owe it to ourselves and we owe it to our children, to our children's children and their children's mm-hmm. children's children. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so right. to me, it's just um, you know, and having a child with a chronic illness. Mm. I don't want her to ever be in a position where she can't pay for her medication. So she also has type one diabetes. And I don't know if people are not familiar with that. You, She's insulin dependent and mm-hmm. insulin is very costly. And so mm-hmm. if she ever hits a point in her life where she doesn't have a job and has healthcare, I want her to be able to live and have her medication. So that means I have to put things in place. Like I'm just being real with y'all. I I have to put things in place so that she will have money if something happens to me. And so um, this conversation that we're having right now, there are people who are in my position. It's like, hmm, I have to learn. I want to have generational wealth before before I get there. I got to just put some money aside, you know, for emergencies, for wealth, mm-hmm. um, just, you know, to make sure we're not living paycheck to paycheck mm-hmm. and things like that. So how do people get in contact with you mm-hmm. um, to to learn more about what services you offer? Thank you for that. So um, Instagram is where I live most of the time. I meet Professor White um, on Instagram and it's P-R-O-F. So the abbreviated version of Professor. Um, Meetprofessorwhite.com as well. And that's where you can learn a lot more about dynastic wealth and the research um, around this framework. And there is one page and I'm happy to give you the direct link for the show notes that breaks down these different components of dynastic wealth. And so there are five forms of wealth, but then there are these different steps that need to be taken um, to accomplish or to establish wealth in these other areas. But meetprofessorwhite.com and meetprofessorwhite on Instagram. Awesome, awesome. Everybody, all of those links will be in the show notes. Definitely take advantage of that. We owe it to ourselves and our children to do our best to understand it. Yes, there are some terms that we don't fully grasp right now, but with knowledge, with having these types of conversations, we can 
cross over those hurdles and become more proficient and better at understanding how wealth grows. We have that ability. That's the thing. That's why I love America, because we do have the opportunity to build wealth. It's what are we going to do with these opportunities right now with YouTube University education is free. Like there is somebody that is sharing useful information that we can all use, whether it's about ways to um, start passive income businesses. You know, I feel like we hear people say, oh, you need seven streams of income. Well, how? How do I create those seven streams of income? There are ways to learn. But once you put those things in place, you have to protect yourself. And Professor White is helping us protect ourselves. So definitely get this information. Professor, we appreciate this conversation. We appreciate your time. And we just got to have you back. I feel like we just, <laughs> we just scratched the surface. And um, I feel like there's so much more that you can share with us. But I appreciate everything that you shared with us today. Thank you so much. This was such a pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Well, everybody, if you enjoyed this episode, definitely share it with a friend. Don't forget to go follow Professor White on Instagram and go to her website. Get that worksheet. Look, you don't know what you don't know. And we're giving you a taste of, hey, girl, do you need to know this? Yes, you do. So that is all for today. And we appreciate you listening and sharing the podcast with a friend. So that's all for today, folks. Did you know that we sell merchandise to keep our podcast going? Order a hoodie, t-shirt, mugs, and more today. Visit cleverlychanging.com and click on the shop tab to place your order.